Well, good morning. Uh, great to be together. I, uh, just one quick thing before we start. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, we've got a special meeting called Under the Bonnet. Uh, if you've ever wondered sort of uh, what, who are the staff are, what they all do, uh, where's all the money going, how does it work, then uh, come at 2 o'clock this afternoon and I'll, it'll just be kind of an informal uh, meet with a whiteboard and we'll uh, just field questions, talk about these things and uh, get whatever you want answered, answered. We want to be as um, transparent as possible. So 2 o'clock this afternoon, under the bonnet, uh, up in the hall. I mean, what else are you going to do this afternoon, right? Hang out with me, come on, it'll be a good time. Um, how about I pray? Father, we, we do uh, ask, please, today that you might work wonderfully amongst us. We pray that you, by your Spirit, might move through this building and through us, our lives, and transform change and do the miracle, please, of bringing new birth. And we ask that you might, please, make yourself known, that you might save, that you might grow us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you uh, will know, some of you will know, many of you may not know, but I'm actually an introvert. I, I actually don't like crowds, uh, and so I don't like you much, just being with you. But uh, no, 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 I love you individually, but the crowd thing is... is uh, but I tell you what, uh, coming along is a shot in the arm. I just, uh, even with that, just being here again, uh, hearing God's uh, praises being sung, uh, hearing uh, people pray and lead us in prayer, hearing testimonies... Uh, of what God is doing amongst us, um, I, I just find myself going, I've got to be here. This, this is important. This uh, really makes a difference. Because what we do here week by week is of immense significance. Just to keep reminding us of the wonder and power of it. Every week we hear God speak to us. And I don't mean in voices in your head. That probably means you've got a psychological problem. But I don't mean that kind of thing. I, I, I mean a much better thing, actually. I mean God speaks to us publicly so that we can all hear it in words that are written so we can go back to them and check them out again and actually be sure again and be confirmed because if it was just in our heads we'd be all over them but having words written is a profoundly wonderful solid concrete way of God speaking to us and those words speak to us of our greatest need they speak to us of things of vast importance cuts through all the mess, all the crowd, all the confusion and strikes at what matters most, which is life. Life after death, particularly. Life eternal. Because here it is, the truth is, you are all going to die. Not right now, probably, but you will. Your time is short. I've been on holidays, Cathy and I have been away this last little bit and uh, on holidays I read that little popular cliche again, uh, age is just a number. Um, and I read it because I was whinging about my body and how it was falling apart. You know, my, it, when I going for the second surf of the day, I was just finding it painful. And uh, I know, woe is me. And I was finding pulling in the fish, my arm was starting to hurt. And, and, and I thought, is, am I getting older? Or is it the fish are just getting bigger? <laughs> Got to find some way, right? Um, now, just to be fair, I found that on the beach, all right? It, just <laughs> it had just washed up, tired and old. But, um, oh, and uh, vegans amongst you, I put it back, all right? So, uh, <laughs> I let it go free. But uh, I had a lot of things like that. And so, was it just... But no, I've got to tell you, it, I, I felt it. I'm getting older. It, um, uh, age is just a number? What a lot of tripe. It's just in your head? No, it's not. It's in your joints. Do you know what I mean? 
age is a number, but it's not just a number. It's a number that says you've had one more year of getting older, one more year of those joints wearing out. It's real. Look around you. <laughs> you can see them amongst us. They're proving that it's not just a number. It, um, you know, life is short. It's a moment. Eternity's forever. Many of us don't think much about it, or if we do, we imagine that if there is a God and if there's a life after death, uh, then we'll be okay. I don't know how many people I talk to have that sense. Um, you, you know, I've, I've been decent, I've been hardworking, you know, I, I, I've tried to think about it, it's all confusing, I'm sure God will understand that because I'm, you know, I'll be alright. Now, how do you know that's true? How do you know that's right? What opinion do you have on death, life after death? What happens then? And where you'll be? What, you, you'll have an opinion. What is your opinion? You know, imagine that you could know. Imagine that you can know exactly what will happen when you die, what will happen to you, where you'll be. Imagine you could know exactly those things with absolute confidence and know what you need to do to be okay. Imagine. Well, we can know. We can know because of a conversation between two men 2,000 years ago, recorded for us by John the Apostle. A conversation between two men, a man called Nicodemus and a man called Jesus. It's a very simple conversation, Kath just read it for us, and it makes one very important, one big point that keeps being made about what is necessary. What, is, what do you need to be okay when you die. What's necessary? That's the big point the passage is making. I mean, as Jesus makes that point, he makes a, there's a number of other points that are made or, or underlie all of that. I'm going to suggest there's four of them, some deeper truths. But the big point is this. If you're going to gain eternal life, if you're going to find yourself on the right side of God, if you're going to be in His kingdom in heaven, if you're going to be there, you must be born again. That's the big point. Jesus says it's such a big point, He, he repeats it again and again. Get your, get your Bibles. John chapter 3. Jesus makes this claim at least three times through the conversation He has with this man Nicodemus. You'll see it there in firstly verse 3. Uh, grab your Bibles, turn it up. Um, Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He says it again in verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Another way of talking about being born again, we'll come to it in a moment and explain it. But he says it again in verse 7, you should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. Three times. Jesus makes, that is the big point. Now, many of you may be familiar with that phrase. You may have heard that uh, little thing, being born again. Uh, there's, there's not many of us, I think, who have not picked it up. But some of you lived through its very popular period back in the 70s. Um, was it Jimmy Carter who went for president as the born-again Christian? Does any, I've, I've read about that in history at school. Did any, <laughs> did any of you any remember that kind of thing, Jimmy Carter? Nah, it's America. No, right. But uh, Billy Graham was very popular in a lot of his preaching, being born again. He wrote a book on being born again. Um, and there was a lot of talk about it during that period of time. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? Is it just a way of saying you're a really serious Christian? 
that you're a born-again Christian? Or, or was it just a way of saying, I'm a Baptist? Because Baptists tend to talk about it a lot. Was it a way of saying, I'm a fundamentalist, radical, literalist Christian? Which some Baptists were. Is that what it was? What does it mean here? Is Jesus just saying to Nicodemus, if you want to gain heaven, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, if you want to be right after death, you just need to be a serious Christian? Is that what he's saying? No. He is saying something far more profound, far more radical. And my aim this morning is to take us through the conversation fairly quickly and uh, kind of raise some of the issues. But then uh, eventually I want to get to the point of explaining what it is to be born again. What does it mean to be born again and how do you get it? But before that, after going through the conversation, I want to, I want to highlight for us four big theological issues that I think emerge as you reflect on this passage. It really is a very rich and profound part of the Bible. I mean, every part of the Bible. Um, and I want to take you through these four. But let me go firstly, through the conversation. Through the conversation, four big things, then what it is and how to get it. Conversation, verse 1. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a bigwig in the ancient world. And he comes, verse 2, at night to speak to Jesus. Now, the assumption here is that Nicodemus has heard Jesus in his public ministry in some fashion. I mean, Jesus has been moving around the place and it seems Nicodemus has picked up on what's happening and he, he's come to Jesus to find out more. Now, he's come at night. John makes it clear that he's come at night and it seems he's come at night, of course, for fear. The idea of night, darkness is a big theme through John's Gospel. And it comes in the context too, interesting, this is why Kath helpfully read back into chapter 2. Did you notice that in verse 23 of chapter 2? Um, Jesus had been performing many miraculous signs. Um, lots of people were following him. But look at verse 24. Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew what was, now literally, what was in a man. He did not need anyone's testimony about a man for he knew what was in each man, is literally what's being said there. And what, Jesus is, what John's telling us is that coming to, to Jesus on the basis of all the excitement and the miracles is a very fragile way of engaging with God. And Jesus didn't trust that. There was something inadequate. But chapter 3 verse 1 then says, Now there was a man, a Pharisee, who came to Jesus. The kind of man that you don't trust, you see. So this man, Nicodemus, who comes, comes at night, he's afraid. And he comes as another one of the men who Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to. But there is a positive side to this, he does come. He pursues Jesus. He at least comes to find out more, even though it's at night, even though he's a little bit afraid, and even though he's afraid of his friends, he comes. And in this, I think, is a very helpful model for us. He doesn't dismiss Jesus like his other religious leaders did. He doesn't go with the crowd. He, he cares enough about the truth that he wants to know more. And we actually find out later that he gains that truth and is numbered among the disciples. He is a model in some sense and I want to encourage... I mean, there might be some amongst us today who are like Nicodemus. You're, you're here because you're puzzled, you're wondering... And you're finding yourself going, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want to be chased up. I just want to... And that's good. 
that's great. Because that you find out more and put yourself in a position where you can find out more is critically important. Be like Nicodemus. Even if you have to come at night. Even if you have to do it on the stream. Fantastic. Find out more. Because if you knock, you will find. As Nicodemus did. Now this conversation begins, verse 2, with Nicodemus uh, praising Jesus. Basically saying, you're a great guy, Jesus. We think you're a great guy. Um, Look at verse 3. Jesus, though, says, bang. Very truly I tell you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Wow. He takes complete control of the conversation and he turns the whole thing to the big thing. He doesn't wait for some trigger word that he kind of launches from. He doesn't wait for something to segue off. He just goes straight to the heart. You've got to be born again. Now, that triggers some confusion. Uh, John then in verse 4 says, what, how, do I have to go to the womb again? You've got to be nuts, what are you talking about? Jesus says, verse 5, no, 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 I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. Now, I think that's what it means there when Jesus goes on to say, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. I think he's saying you need to go through a, not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual one. Now, there is some discussion over what the language of born of water and born of the Spirit means. There are various different ideas. I won't go through them all now. I I think basically what Jesus is saying, my my view is that Jesus is saying, um, you you must be born, you need to be born of water. You need to be born physically. There's a reality, of course, you need to be a human born because being born of water has some connotations around the amniotic fluid and so on and so forth. Um, so, so, you know, of course you need a first birth, but you need to be born of spirit. You need a second birth. You need a birth from above, a spiritual rebirth. And I think verse 6 confirms that this is the track. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, yes. Uh, born of water, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. In fact, I think what Jesus is saying in addition to this is that there's no evolution from the flesh birth to the spirit birth. It doesn't sort of slowly emerge into that thing. They're two different things. Being born of flesh, being born of water, doesn't make you automatically turn into a spirit birth. You need to actively, or you need to go through a second miraculous experience, the work of God himself. And it's critical that you go through this, says Jesus, verse 3. Because if you don't go through this, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Let alone, verse 5, enter it. You won't even see heaven. You'll be so far away from it. Unless you're born again of the Spirit. Now, there's something of the conversation. Uh, There are some things hanging. What what is this spiritual new birth? What is it to be born of the Spirit? Uh, And how do you get it? There's some things hanging. I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, But as I mentioned, I want to go through four big theological ideas that I think are evident as you go through this passage. So let me work on these with us for a moment. You ready for this? First one. Authority. The authority of Jesus. See, what sense do you gain as you uh, kind of hear this conversation recounted? So as John reports this conversation that happened between Nicodemus and Jesus, what impression do you gain of Jesus in it? 
He's a religious leader. He's a man of the Jewish ruling council. This is a, this is a big figure in this country. And he comes to Jesus, he starts saying nice things about Jesus, and Jesus has none of it. He cuts straight through it all, and instead, he speaks, and he commands, and he takes control, and he changes the conversation to go where he's determined to see it go. He speaks with absolute certainty about spiritual realities. He assumes, he expects, that his words are the truths about these things. You must be born again, says Jesus. I, you, you have your own opinions, but here's what must be the case. Without this experience, you, Nicodemus, a ruler, a leader, an expert in religion, you will never even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. I know, says Jesus. He speaks, his way is the way. I mentioned we were on holidays, I, um, I was, we were on the way to some beach spot and I was talking to Cathy in the car on the way there and she'd been reading commentaries on John 3 and so on and so forth and um, uh, kind of enjoying digging into this part of the Bible. And I said to her, uh, I asked, I, I, I'm, I've got to preach in a couple of days' time, what are your thoughts on John 3? Uh, what have you got for me? <laughs> and her first comment was this, she said, Jesus is Formidable. That's, I would never have thought to use that word. That's a good word, isn't it? I didn't even know it existed. Formidable. <laughs> Jesus is formidable. What she was capturing is this sense that a leader comes to Jesus. A leader with some sense of his own importance. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he says, you can see it there in verse 2, we know. We've got our understanding and insights into you, we know. He comes to engage with Jesus and Jesus takes complete control. He sets the agenda, he sets the conversation, he's formidable. That is a great insight. But she added this as well. She said, if you come to Jesus thinking highly of yourself, he will bring you down. But she rushed on to say that if you come to Jesus thinking nothing of yourself, he'll lift you up. Isn't that a beautifully insightful comment? Jesus is formidable. And with the brokenhearted, he's gentle. Why is he formidable? Because he's the Word who was with God, the Word who is God, the Word who is God who walks amongst us, our Creator. He speaks and acts as the one that he is, the Lord of heaven and earth. What do you expect him to be like? Formidable. You know, one of the fundamental questions of life uh, is where do you go to find the truth? It is one of the fundamental questions. Where do you go to find the true truth? How, how can I really know what really is truth beyond just mere opinion? And it's a question that's important in all kinds of contexts of life, isn't it? I mean, um, what really happened in the royal family, Megan and the blokes? I mean, what went on there, really? I mean, there's a, there's a question. I'm on holidays, that's all I care about. I'm just wondering about the whole thing there. But, um, you know, there's some areas of life where you just want to know what the truth... Well, actually, some of you don't care, but, you know, there's, there's lots of places in life... You, what really is the truth? Where do I go to find it out? I tell you, in the realm of spiritual things, it's all the more important. 
Is there a life after death? Is there a hell? Really? Is there a heaven? Is there a God who rules all things, who will judge all humanity, that will one day stand you? Is this true? Where can we go to find the answers to these things? Ones that we can rely on. You know, everyone's got an opinion. Uh, everyone's got an opinion about the future. And you may not have a very a formed opinion, but you'll have an opinion and it will go, as I said, it'll go something like this. Uh, you'll go, I don't really know what will happen, but I just do know that when I die, if it's all true, I'll be okay. Well, that's an opinion. And I want to press you and say, how do you know that's true? How do you know it will be okay? How do you know that you'll be okay? What, what's the authority that's brought you to believe that's to be true? Now, lots of people have different places they go to find their authority. Some people think the authority is the church. If I just go to the church, it'll tell me the answers. No, don't trust us. We're, we're human, we're frail. Some people think, well, if I go to the Pope, no, the Pope's got it wrong. Don't lie, it's just, that's a fact of history. Well, where do I go to find the truth? Do, do, more people today are turning in. What they've decided is that I can't trust all these external authorities. Where you really go is inside and how you feel about things. Um, I, this came home to me while I was away. Um, I was reading a discussion over gender issues. And uh, there was a lot of discussion around... Um, you know, homosexuality and heterosexuality and male-female relationships and so on. And um, one position was being put that's a very modern uh, one that's particularly coming through the American culture and uh, amongst Christians. And someone said, what does the Bible say on this? And someone else said, no, no, no. He said, what you do is you look within. How do you feel about this? If you just, if you just listen to your heart, you'll know what's true. Do you see what they've done? Where's your authority? In here. Now, this man, bless him, said, I've looked there and I found nothing. <laughs> um, what I want you to notice, in the midst of this conversation, notice what's assumed by Jesus. It is that he has the answers. Look at verse 10, look at verse 13, look at verse 14. No one has gone to heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. He's the one who speaks of heavenly things and earthly things. He's the one who knows what's true. He is the authority. And I spend time here because you, we as a culture are in the midst of a great confrontation. What will you decide about issues like gender, sexuality, male-female relationships? Will you go with the crowd Will you form an opinion based on how it feels and sits with you? Will you rest your authority there? Or will you see Jesus as the one who says, I know, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He's the authority. I want to urge you, uh, particularly again today, to make an informed decision about what authority you'll ground your life on because it's coming, the storm's coming. Second, sin. 
The assumption here, which stands behind the comment of Jesus to, to this moral man, this religious man, that you must be born again, born anew, born from above, is that there's something so wrong with humankind that nothing less than a total new creation of the human heart, nothing less than a new birth will do. We, we will be not even able to see the kingdom unless we're completely remade because of the power of sin to destroy us. Let me give you an illustration. It's a baking illustration. It's a great risk for me to do this. But um, when you bake a cake, you know, there's lots of different things you can do with ingredients. You can have a bit more butter and a bit less butter and, and a bit of other things, more or less, whatever else you, <laughs> whatever else you put in cakes, right? But um, I think you put a lot of sugar in cakes usually, yeah, right? And imagine you kind of reached to fill up the cup, cup with sugar and instead put the other white stuff that you found in the cupboard, salt, and filled the cup up with salt instead of sugar and put that into the mix and put it all together. What's going to happen to the cake? It's going to suck, right? <laughs> and, and, and here, I mean, I think I got that right. Now, here's the thing. Once you get it out and you realise your mistake, you can't just shove sugar into it to fix it. You can't just put more icing over it to make it work. You, 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 what's needed is a whole new cake. And this is exactly the point. Sin has so entwined in every dimension of our beings as humans. It has so corrupted our, our intellect, our, our affections, our consciences, our will. It has so impacted every dimension of who we are. It's so entwined into it all. We are ruined. There is no part that's unaffected. Nothing less than a total new creation is needed if we are even to see the kingdom of God. Do you see this as a sense in why, this is why Jesus jumps so, so immediately to this topic with this religious man. This man comes to him, a man who's committed to the law of God, obeying the law of God, earning the favour of God through his being a decent person, a law-abiding religious person. He's moral, he's upright, and he's working hard to put icing on the cake of his life. He's living a life that he believes if he just puts enough works into it, enough icing on it, God won't spew him out. And Jesus says straight away, Nicodemus, it won't work. You need a whole new way. You need to be born again. And he starts with, truly, truly, I tell you, to bring all the authority that he can bear against this point. Every human life is so deeply and profoundly poisoned at every point that without a whole new birth, there is no hope for any of us. Says the authority of Jesus. See, first, authority. Second, sin. Third, Old Testament, New Testament. This message that Jesus brings has been God's message for centuries. Jesus is bringing something new, but it's not never been mentioned before. Uh, you get it in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus means when he says to verse 10, look at chapter 3, verse 10. Nicodemus says, verse 9, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher 
and you don't understand these things? See, what Jesus is saying is to this man is, you've got the Old Testament, you should know what I'm talking about. Of all people, how can you have missed this? God's been preparing you for this truth all along. Now, the big question, of course, is where? Well, we ask Kath, where do you find this, Kath Evans? You find this in Ezekiel 36, the reading she gave us. In Ezekiel 36, there's two chapters in Ezekiel that speak of these things. Ezekiel 36 reports Israel's sin again and God's righteous judgment upon them again because they failed the law again. But in the midst of that, he says, there's a time coming when I'm going to do a new work, where I'm going to take your heart of stone out and I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to give you new life. And I'm going to put my spirit in you to move you to obey me and keep my commandments. And chapter 37 vividly portrays this with a valley of dry bones, where God says to Ezekiel, can this valley of bones live? And Ezekiel says, wisely, I don't know, you know. And God says, yes, they can. Speak the word, prophesy, and by God's spirit, he brings life to the dead. He brings life to dead Israel who needed to be born again. Now, this was all there. And Jesus says, this is God, this is such an important thing, God's been saying it and preparing you for it. How did you miss this? Which is another big question, how did he miss it? We haven't got time for it today. But please hear this, says Jesus. Very truly I say to you, the best of Jewish religious people they must be born again. The sincere Muslim, you must be born again. Keeping the prayer things five times a day, doing the pilgrimage, you must be born. None of that will get you there. You must be born again. Sin is so pervasive in everything. You must be remade. The sincere Buddhist, the sincere Hindu, you must be born the decent, hard-working father. You will not even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, born of the Spirit, born miraculously. The young woman amongst us, the young man who's critical of our racist past and critical of older people who live such inauthentic lives, you must be born again as well. The Catholic who religiously goes to Mass every Sunday, it won't be enough. Who does the prayer, it won't be enough. You must be born again. Your only hope to even see the kingdom is to go through this new birth. The point here is that this is for everybody because sin has so polluted every life. No one of us will even see God without this new birth. So what is it? <laughs> How do I get it? Just a moment, one more. Let me give you the fourth. It's the sovereignty of God. You know, this whole thing is humbling. Jesus is saying to a man who thought that he had much, he's saying, you've got nothing. All your religiosity, nothing. But verse 8, he says to him, you've got less than nothing. 
Because the wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound but cannot tell where it comes from or goes, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The point, you can't even make this new birth happen. Because the Spirit brings the new birth and the Spirit blows where He wills. It's up to the choice of the Spirit to bring new birth, not you. You are completely dependent on one outside of you, a work of God, it's His gift. You can't earn it, you can't control it, you can't deserve it. The wind blows wherever you wish, the Spirit blows to give this birth wherever He chooses. You, religious man or woman, are totally at the mercy of God. Well, what does a person do? So come finally these key questions. What is it to be born again? And how do I get it? Let me give you the what it is. It is a profound but invisible remaking of your whole inner being. It's not physical, it's spiritual. A person who goes through this new birth won't change physically at all. I'm sorry to tell you that. You will look the same. You'll have the same genetics, the same DNA. You'll have the same intelligence, the same fitness levels, the same skills. A new birth by the Spirit won't change. You'll have the same personality. These things won't change in the new birth. But something changes profoundly. And perhaps one way to say it, as the Old Testament and other New Testament writers say it, it'll be a change of heart. It'll be a new heart, a new inner being. I heard one man wonderfully put it like this. He said, if you're an extrovert before the new birth, after you've gone through the new birth, you'll still be an extrovert. It's just that the people you live with will find you easy to live with. So you'll still be you, is the point. But something profound will happen. It'll be a change in your inner being, and here it is, the lights will go on. New life will happen. You'll come alive to the truth of the spiritual realm. You'll come alive to the truth of God, to His greatness, His holiness, His glory. You'll begin to see how far above us He is if you've been born again into this realm by the Spirit. Now, notice I say begin, because you'll be born again to begin to see, and as you grow in that spirit age, you'll see more and more of the glory of God. You'll be more and more humbled by His greatness and His majesty. Before the new birth, you might have had some sense of there being a God, but when you're born again, you'll have a new sense, a true sense, a deeper, which will grow only grow. And you'll begin to see your sin now, I'm not making this up, this comes in John chapter 16, when, when the Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of sin and judgment. The Spirit will give new birth and you will begin to see how pervasive sin is, how far short I have fallen. You'll be convicted in deep and profound ways, which will bring you to see the need for a Saviour. And you'll begin to see the goodness of God as your ruler. 
you'll begin to see that actually coming under God and His Lordship in my life is a good thing. You won't get that without new birth. But when you're born again, the lights will go on and you'll realise, I was made to live under God. That's where true freedom is found, serving God, obeying God. That's new birth to see that. Your motivations will change. Your heart will change. A person who's had this new birth will do things for very different reasons. You, you see, two people might go to church. One person goes because they think they'll earn their way with God, they think it'll please people, they'll feel better about themselves. A born-again person goes to church because their Lord God wants them there. They'll do it to please their Father, the one they've now been born into the family of. It's a unique new heart that you'll have. You won't just serve other people to be liked. You'll do it because your Lord calls you to live a life of sacrificial service. You'll seek to please Him in your acts of love. Your motivations will change to want to know God, to want to serve God. The born-again person will want to hear from God, who will want to read His Word, who will find His Word life. These are all evidences of new birth. Well, how does it come? It's necessary. Without it, you, me, we are all lost. This is not just for crazy, radical fundamentalists. This is for Anglicans. Presbyterians, Baptists, Catholics, it's for everybody. Sin is too deep. Jesus says so. It's His authority. Well, how? How do I get this new birth? And that's a particularly pressing question because isn't it God's work? How do I get it if God is sovereign? Well, Jesus gives the answer and it's there in verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. That's an extraordinary answer. And what Jesus does is He reaches back into an incident in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, where, God, where God's people sinned again, where God's judgment came again, but God gave them a means of salvation, a bronze serpent, to, if they just looked to it as the instrument by which God expressed His grace to them, they'd be healed from the snake bites. And Jesus says, just as the snake was lifted up to bring saving life to people, so I'm going to be lifted up on a cross to give my life as a ransom for many, that all who look to me, which is another way of saying all who believe in me, verse 15, will have eternal life, will therefore be born again by the sovereign, miraculous work of God's Spirit. What God has designed is that the means by which we act is His secret, invisible work to bring us by His Spirit to want to have this new birth. And God works in us to bring us to want to look to Jesus, look to Him, Believe in Him because, verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him 
will not perish, but will have eternal life. How do you get this new birth when it's God's work? Look to Jesus, not to your own efforts. Look to the Saviour who is lifted up on a cross to die for you, that you might actually be saved. And know that the fact that you've done that is because God's Spirit has blown in your life to bring you to want to do that. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not even sure I want to yet. Pray. Recognise your, your, your weakness before God, your dependence upon God, your, your utterly at His mercy and cry out to Him. Lord, give me this new desire to look to Jesus, to find in Him forgiveness that I might be born again. We have no hope without it. This is not just for some radical Christians. This is normal Christian life. This is the essence of Christian life. This is the essence of salvation, to be born again. So are you? Have you been born again? How would you know? Well, you'd know. Do you have a new desire to see Jesus as your Lord? Do you recognise the utter pervasiveness of sin and your only hope is in the Saviour, Jesus? Do you see that it's by trusting in Him and Him alone that you have this new birth? Do you see in your life new desires, embryonic, growing, but do you see evidence of new birth? That's how you know. If you see none of these things, today might be the day where you find that experience. How do you do it? Pray. Pray with me. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer that's a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask God to, to, to work in my life, your life, to bring us to see Jesus, to look to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to give us this new birth. I'll give you a moment now to think on whether today is the day to do that. Um, we need this. There is no other hope without it. Do not trust in your own righteousness, your own decency. Jesus says very truly, you must be born again. Take a moment with me. Let's think about it together. Are you born again? Do you have a new insight into the truth about God, yourself, Jesus? Do you have new desires? Are you born again? If you are, give thanks. If you aren't, can I urge you today to pray with me? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I'm conscious that without new birth, I'm lost. Please work this miracle in my life. I see that you promise that if I look to Jesus and trust in him, you will give me this new birth. Please work in me to look to Jesus. Please bring me this new birth. Thank you for the great promise that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. 
Please help me now live in the newness of life that the new birth brings. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you've prayed that prayer today for the first time, that is amazing. And invisible things happen, but you've been profoundly changed. And uh, can I encourage you that if you've done that, it's time to think about, what do I do? And you've got this card, providentially, God put this in your lap. Uh, Can I encourage you to tick that top box, find out more about Jesus? In fact, if you're there and you're thinking, I'm a Nicodemus, I'm not there yet, tick that top box. Um, Do it in the dark, (laughs) do it aware that you don't want it, but just do it, find out. But if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, tick that box so that we can actually get in contact and sensitively, carefully, we'll chat to you and help give you some engagement back and forth. There might be questions and so on. Um, But take some step today with this new thing. If you realise you are born again, give thanks. What a gift. We've been born into the family of God. Praise God. Let me finish. Put the card on the seat as you leave. Is that right? And uh, we will pick it up. Ben, am I right there? Yep, great. Good. Don't leave me hanging.